This is Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender experience and perspective. I'm your host, Amy Breslow. Each week, I invite a different guest to share their personal experiences regarding gender and gender issues. This podcast is recorded at my kitchen table and may contain sounds of life from my home and neighborhood in Washington, D.C. Episode 5. Martina resonates most closely with the identity of a cisgender bisexual woman and prefers the pronouns she and her. Welcome, Martina. I am so pleased to have you here. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you, Amy, for inviting me. My pleasure. So, Martina, I wanted to start off by asking, how do you self-identify? It's such an interesting question, actually, because to me, I view things as more on a spectrum than binary. So I would say I'm definitely closer to the cisgender um, part of that equation. And um, probably sexuality-wise would put myself in the bisexual range. And I think some of it is because I'm multicultural. And by the age of three, I spoke three languages. So I feel very uncomfortable with putting myself into any one particular box. Thank you. I, (laughs) I, I really appreciate that. I have been hearing more and more how gender is on a spectrum. Mm-hmm. This this is not the first time it's the first time somebody's mentioned it on the podcast, but mm-hmm. I've been hearing this from different places, mm-hmm. and you're the first person that I've really seen uh, or I've heard mm-hmm. internalize it, and mm-hmm. and I appreciate that. I'm mm-hmm. I'm really glad that someone is is bringing that up, that it's not a static sort of thing. Right. When in your life did you first become aware of gender roles? Well. I would certainly, in terms of my own specific identity, I think it was I already from a very young age in school was very good at math and the sciences. And already at a very young age, it became clear that that was supposedly unusual. And people would be surprised at that. Like people would ask me, what's your favorite subject? And I'd say math. And they would seem surprised by that, but you know, that I was a girl in saying that. So in terms of my own experience, um, I'd say, it was really when I was sort of in, you know, fourth, fifth grade. But certainly my parents, you know, my father was the one who went to work. He was a diplomat. My mother was the wife of a diplomat and played very much the role of doing the entertaining. And so it was very clear they played very different roles. Um, and so I'd observed that from the time I was very little. That That's interesting. When you gravitated towards the sciences, did your family support you in that or did they think you should go in a different No, direction. absolutely. Uh, my mother's father, who I never met, was a scientist, and she was a linguist and very much into the humanities and always felt she disappointed her father. So she was actually thrilled. Like, she had this daughter who was really good at the sciences, and it was as if she was saying to her father, who was no, no longer alive, see, it was in the genetics after all. <laughs> so actually, for my family, I didn't get any of that, which made me, you know, made it more surprising when it, when I then met up with that in school. And, and was it teachers or students? Or? You know, I think it was more, almost more my fellow students than the teachers. You know, I think the teachers were, uh, you know, just supportive of my doing well in these things, but, or more friends of, I would say more like friends of the family who would just be like, oh, really? You love math. That's so unusual. Or, oh, you want to, you know, be a chemist. Oh, that's so unusual. Um, and again, I would say more from my mother's side of the, and she's Austrian and, um, 
you know, in Austria, I think at that time there was much more of a uh, difference between boys and girls growing up. And, and just one last piece on this. I, I just know this because I've known you for a long time, um, that you've lived in so many parts of the world and you grew right. up in different parts of the mm-hmm. world. Did you find that the, um, the school, uh, that school situation, but just mm-hmm. basically the way that schools were run, did they encourage or discourage girls from going into science and math and, and that sort of area? Did you find any differences there? Um, I'd say it was interesting moving back to the United States when I was in eighth grade. I felt it more strongly in the U.S. than I had in Denmark. Um, Denmark being, you know, in the Scandinavian countries in the 60s and 70s, I think there was a lot of, you know, trying to create a more of an egalitarian basis. And so I felt it more coming back here. I'd never lived in the United States and came here at the age of 13 and really felt, 12, 13, felt that there was a much stronger emphasis on that yeah. here than yeah. in Scandinavia, for example. Martina, what issues around gender do you confront in your workplace, or do we even think about it? Is it a non-issue for you? Well, first of all, I've had sort of two very different careers, and um, so I'd really like to address both because they're so diametrically opposed in certain ways. So my first... Um, I was in academia for quite a while in engineering, physics and engineering. Um, when I was in graduate school at MIT, I was one of two women out of 120, 130 graduate students. So that was the ratio of women to men. And what year was this? That was in the early 80s okay. and early to mid 80s. And um, so that was a very, that was a world where I was clearly much a, a large minority. And um, again, I think my background in the sort of being a diplomat's daughter really helped me in a certain way because it's like I was brought up to sort of be a bit of a chameleon and really pay attention to the cultural environment I was in. And so in a way, I viewed it as a cultural environment to be among all these men. (laughs) And um, how could I best fit in? So I think I viewed myself as needing to fit into their world because it was so clearly their world. Um, In my early 30s, I made a big career shift and went into alternative medicine, healing um, work. That, in that world, I was surrounded by mostly women, uh, very few men. So in a way, my my, um, professional life has been at the two extremes here. And... um, uh, so it's, it's given me an interesting insight. And again, so I've viewed it in a certain way as different cultures that I can, at certain points, and as I've gotten older, I'm also less willing to totally mold myself and be the kind of chameleon that I was willing to be in my 20s and 30s. This, you're, I, I, I love your experience. It's, it's very unique, yet mm-hmm. it, it's, it's simultaneously a unique experience mm-hmm. that is bringing in experiences that a lot of other people have, but just in one area. So that being said, is there anything, it's like, a, like I'm sure there's so much you could say about it, but is there any one or two insights that you have about working in an environment that was mostly male and, and working in an environment that was mostly female about 
workplace or, you know, be it academia mm-hmm. or, or what have you. I'm curious if there's anything you, any insights that you have. Well, it was interesting because I was at MIT at a time where in a lot of different fields, there was a huge gender disparity, maybe not as extreme as in my department. And a lot of women were running into tremendous sexism. And I actually did not run into that in my department. And in a way, I wonder if almost because it was so extreme, (laughs) it was almost easy. And I was willing to kind of play this, I would maybe even call it playing the game of fitting in, that I felt actually welcomed in. Um, People felt comfortable um, with me. And I knew that that was very important. I knew it was very important for for the men to feel comfortable with me. Um, so I would go out drinking beer with them, even though I really didn't like beer very much. The other thing, though, I knew was I had to be at the top of the class. Mm. And it was absolutely clear to me that to be taken seriously, I had to be like clearly at the absolute top of the class, and which I managed to do. Um, what I didn't realize until much later was it, it put a lot of pressure on me. So when I came, kind of came to the next stage where I was going to be the first woman um, faculty person at the University of Wisconsin, I decided actually not to take that job because I was really burnt out from being a pioneer. And the thought of being like the first, the only, and I got a lot of pushback for that. I got a lot of pushback from people saying, but here you, you know, here you could be that woman who could break open this field, this is nuclear engineering, um, and almost feeling disappointed in me that I didn't continue on. But it had taken, it had taken a really big toll on me. And it's what actually led me to make a career shift because I was 31 years old and burnt out. Wow. And uh, I, I can't even imagine what the pressure must mm-hmm. have been like in that situation. And then on the other side, working in an environment in in the healing arts, mm-hmm. do you have any insights about that? Um, you know, I think we ha- I find myself having to be very careful not to get into sort of a bit of a reverse discrimination of feeling like, well, the women are so much more willing to do their personal work and their internal work and their spiritual work. And I'm almost surprised when a man shows up and wants to do his work. And, um, you know, really having to sort of catch myself on that <laughs> and to not do the same thing back in a totally different way. Um, and again, you know, I, I, there's such an earnestness to the, the men who do come and work with me, but it's a language that they're not used to speaking. They were, you know, and I've really, I've come to have much more compassion for how men and boys get so limited by their culture and have a very hard time, especially expressing emotion or feeling they should be valuing these emotions. And um, so I think I've come to have a lot more compassion, almost feeling like in a certain way, men have a harder time. I mean, we women have had to, or I feel like as a woman, I've had to really fight for my identity and and struggle to um, find some articulation around that. And I feel a lot of the men are just lost because they they don't even know where to start. So at least in my generation, I should say I'm in my late 50s. So, you know, just to place that. Thank you so much for sharing that example. And I'm I'm really glad that you've also raised your 
experience and compassion around men having to the barriers that they face and the challenges that they face. Uh, a colleague of mine calls that being in the man box. And that's mm -hmm. something that I've been learning more and more about. And I've, uh, I, I appreciate talking to somebody who is experiencing that in her ongoing daily life. Yeah, there's an, a little example that um, when I was at MIT and I was one of two women out of 180 graduate students, one of the things that happened a lot is that the men would f sort of seek me out to talk to me about things um, that were of a more emotional nature. And it was, they were trying to sort things out. It was very interesting. It was a time where sort of gay rights was coming to the fore in the early 80s and nuclear engineering being very, very quite homophobic environment. And our office was right next to one of the gay bars in Cambridge. And, you know, they would just, you know, walk around a lot of these people coming from environments or having grown up in places where gay bashing was viewed as totally acceptable, even though in Cambridge, Massachusetts at the time, that was not the case. And um, I would call them on that and they would be just shocked. And then they, but then they would seek me out in private so that nobody else would see it. And they'd start talking to me about these things, about saying, well, you know, I was brought up totally homophobic and now I'm, I'm starting to question this, but I've, you have to understand I've never questioned it before. And so I found that really fascinating. And I'm wondering if in a certain way, being a woman allowed them to feel that comfort mm -hmm. to be able to do that. And I, again, I found that sort of an interesting situation. Um, then that would, that was in the early '80s. Thank you. I I really appreciate that example. As I know, you are very much aware. The past couple years have been just fundamentally different uh, in terms of environment, conversation around gender and gender issues. Mm -hmm. What do you think is possible today? in the current conversation, in the current environment, that was not possible even a few years ago? Well, I think a lot of it depends where you live and where you are and where you're having those conversations. Um, I think this whole notion of, on so many fronts, I think it's, for me, it started out with, first of all, sexuality being viewed on a continuum and not being binary. And now we're opening this up to this whole nother realm of gender and I think what's possible is, again, that we don't have to put things into the kind of boxes that were just assumed also to be scientifically um, valid. You know, now we, we look at it even, you know, what is a man? What is a woman? What is gender? What defines it? We now understand it's so much more complicated than just chromosomes or, you know, I'm sure you have other people on the show who understand that all these things much better than I do. But... Um, I think the, the, it's almost like another dimension has been added. And rather than viewing these things as maybe two-dimensional, now we're adding a third dimension. And I, think, and I think that threatens some people. And I think so in some communities or some areas, I think there's almost been a shutting down because this is viewed as such a threat. Um, and yet in other communities, there's this wonderful opening up. And I see it with um, a lot of my clients who are under 30, who just, there's an, there just is this assumption that they can view themselves in so much of a broader way. And I would say almost every person, every person under 30 I work with would 
consider themselves queer in some way because the notion that they are one thing or the other just doesn't doesn't apply the same way it did for my generation. And can I ask you, because this question of what does queer mean, mm-hmm. I've heard different definitions. Mm-hmm. How, When you hear the word, what does it mean to you? Well, I think it's, again, because, I again, I watch it in people who are under 30 now, that, it, that they can identify themselves in a multiplicity of ways, that there is, it isn't just I am straight or gay, or I am cisgender or transgender. It's like one can be sort of in the middle of this flow um, uh, in ways that are just... And I, and I think what's more interesting is that the questions that people ask themselves, not the answer. And I think this is also where modern spirituality has helped a lot, the whole notion that the journey is much more interesting than, than the answer. And we tend to be a culture that's looking for goals and answers, and we're moving a little bit more about being present to the journey more. And so I see people, it's more the question in the sense of, well, in this moment, this is what I'm doing. Um, and they, you know, they'll come in one day and they're dating a woman and then, then they're dating a man and then they're dating. I mean, it's, it, and there's no, it's sort of seamless. There's no needing, need to explain it even, um, which I find fascinating. That's a lovely answer. Thank you. Do you have any life goals or dreams that you chose not to pursue? Certainly, I did have the goal of, you know, being an academic, and um, I even got a wonderful job offer in that, and then recognized that at that point in my life, I didn't have it in me to continue being a pioneer. So I, you know, I, I didn't pursue that further. So absolutely, yes. Yeah, and, and the second piece of that, you've already spoken, but I'll say it again in case there's anything you want to add is and do you think gender played a role in that decision absolutely you know interestingly enough I think it's being the pioneer that played the role I think if I had been you know the first african-american or the first of anything I may have come to a similar decision I think being the first at something puts a tremendous pressure and being such a minority puts a pressure on people. It's a very, it, it, it's, it takes a toll. Mm-hmm. And I think that's often not appreciated. And you get to a certain point in your life where you suddenly say, or I suddenly said to myself, there's more to life than this, and this is wearing me out. Again, with hindsight, it all looks like I, you know, woke up one day and realized it, it didn't happen quite so organically. <laughs> but ultimately, that is why I made that decision. Um, although at the time, I would don't think I would have been able to articulate it. Sure, sure. A lot of this, yes. a lot of this is hindsight, hindsight. And, and reflection. I mean, the just you know, the title yes. of this podcast is "Your Own Voice: Gender, Experience, and Perspective." And to get yes. perspective, you have to have that Absolutely. time. You've got you can't you can't have perspective yes. if if there isn't any sort of pause between what happened mm-hmm. and it, between the experience and the reflection. Yeah. You know, I haven't, I, I don't know if this fits in here, but the, I have a, a story I think that is important because it, it relates to sort of being a minority and gender. I did some, quite a bit of my research in Japan on nuclear, on nuclear plants. And of course, gender is a very big issue there. But because I was an Amer, I was a foreigner, that trumped everything there. And um, it's so interestingly enough, I felt 
no discrimination for my gender there. It was much, I was already viewed as such an odd bird. Yeah. And it, yeah. they found it so perplexing. So the only thing that related that in terms of gender, I feel I was, it was, a, you know, I was affected by was the, the questions I would get was, aren't your parents really upset that you're not getting married? So this would be in a professional setting. And I would like present, you know, what was going on in the core of a nuclear reactor and everybody totally accepted it and thought I was really smart and all this. But then afterwards they would ask me, aren't your parents like really upset that you're not, you know, that you're not getting married or that you don't have children or, so it was very interesting. You know, again, this cultural difference where, um, but because I was a foreigner and I, I didn't fit into their scheme at all anyway, um, I didn't feel in terms of my professional uh, work it affected me at all, but certainly the way they viewed me, they found it very, very, very perplexing. And they had no trouble just bluntly asking me <laughs> these questions. So I have to ask you, when they would ask questions like that, how would you respond? What would you say to them? Well, let's. Um, I, my father, being a diplomat, we spent. Um, well, he's. They spent. My parents spent over fifteen years in Japan. I grew up actually in Japan, so I understand the Japanese culture very well. And so I would just, you know, demurely smile and just kind of deflect it and move on, um, which is kind of the way to do it in in Japan to not get defensive about it and just kind of say, "No, well, they're proud of me." You know, I also knew that you know to. Uh, saying something like, well, they're very proud that I'm at MIT or they're very proud that I went to Harvard. You know, I think things like that, they, they understood and then they stopped, you know, they would stop. But <laughs> Martina, can you tell me about a time when you thought, I can't do X, or if I try to do X, that the consequences would be so great that it just wasn't worth trying? In terms of gender? I, well, I'd say the qu the question is an open-ended question, okay. and then we'll see if there's a gendered uh -huh. piece of it. But I'm I'm asking it, be and it's not just professional; it could be anything that comes to you. Mm -hmm. That's a wonderful question. Um, I think I came out. Of, I graduated from college in 1981, and that was around the time where there was a notion that as women we were told, especially if we came from elite educational environments that we could have everything and you know we could have careers and we could have family and we could have children and we could do it all and we should and we should do it all and I remember already then thinking I don't know there's a notion of sequentiality to it that maybe we can do it sequentially but I'm not sure we it, it just almost sounded undoable to do it all at the same time and I think now there's much more acceptance of that, that there are trade-offs. There are trade-offs for everything. Um, so I certainly feel that when I was, especially in this in graduate school and sort of feeling this pressure of needing to be academically, you know, at the top of my class, um, that I had to sacrifice quite a bit. I didn't have a typical 20s. You know, I did not do a lot of partying. I didn't, at that point, have a lot. I love music. There are things that I really love that I had to really put aside. And so I really, so I think I had already then a sense that you have to make some choices and there may be things that you have to give up to pursue certain things at a certain level. Mm -hmm. And and then the follow-up question 
for you, was there a gendered aspect to that? Or do you think that's um, something that all gender, people of all genders face? I think at the time, because gender roles were more defined in certain ways. I mean, I watched, for example, I felt like also, for example, being at MIT in the environment I was in, I felt I was very careful in terms of dating and things like that. Um, my male colleagues had no issues around that. It didn't dawn on them that they shouldn't be dating or who they were dating. I mean, that that would affect them professionally, that that would affect how people thought of them. I felt like I had to take that into account, or I did watch out in terms of those things, you know, from a very, you know, certainly already from graduate school times, in terms of being taken seriously. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I, yeah, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Is there some place in your life where you decided to push on anyway, even though gender expectations or gender norms told you not to? Oh, absolutely, in terms of the sciences, yes. Um, you know, when I started in college, I had originally thought I would want to, I was gonna major in chemistry, and then I decided to major in physics. Again, much more male-dominated. And, um, you know, and people warned me, and they said, you know, it's gonna be a lonely existence, and I just definitely pushed on. And I feel like I certainly had the support of my friends in that. Um, then going on in engineering, which was, again, much more, um, you know, the ratios even even more extreme than in physics. Um, and I just, yes, I did keep on going. And I think I, I paid a, a certain price for that later. There was a, I didn't understand the cumulative effect. Um, I think also because as I was sort of pushing boundaries and pushing outside the box, even within my own field, I started pushing against the boundaries of the field. So I was doing the first sort of interdisciplinary um, PhD dissertation. So I started pushing boundaries on so many levels. And again, I was in my mid-20s, and I had this kind of exuberance and sense of, isn't this wonderful? And again, wasn't understanding the toll that it was taking um, on me in other ways. Thank you. Is there anything that you would like to see regular people start doing now, start doing differently, in order to make a change around gender issues today in this country? Well, I certainly think at a very practical level, if within families, if within, you know, to not stereotype children and their interests, and you're seeing so much more of that, but I think a broadening of that, really allowing a child's innate curiosity to be allowed to go in whatever direction that curiosity is 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 pointing, and to not sort of in ways that are maybe even subconscious, sort of limiting that by gender roles. So I think that to me it's really about the next generations and and, I, and I'm starting to see a lot more of that and that I find that very hopeful. So finally, is there anything that I didn't ask about or that didn't come up that you would like to add on any topic or any new topic? I think I'd 
like to maybe think about some, I know I've spent a lot of this interview talking about my experience in the sciences and the technical arena, and um, maybe looking a little bit at, you know, the work I'm doing now, and again, this sort of, I would there really encourage men to feel that, and encourage society to allow men to get out of their boxes so that they can integrate more sort of their intellectual capacities but also with their more emotional um, lives and you know that I, I find that I find it very meaningful when I can work with men and open them up to that and again I think we all have we have the yin the yang that you know the masculine the feminine in us each of us have that and if we can have a, you know, sort of a respect for, you know, for us women to have the respect for the masculine aspects of ourselves, for men to have respect for the feminine aspects of themselves. And again, that puts us all on this spectrum. Um, I think it's a very rich, rich place. Thank you for that response. I, I, I love hearing that perspective. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we end? Well, I just want to really thank you for um, giving me this opportunity and also for raising these questions. Um, you know, I think they are questions that many of us live with, but we often don't have the opportunity to really articulate them and, and to also hear each other's stories. So I very much look forward to hearing what other people have shared in this because I think it's a topic that's, that has a lot of rich, that's very multidimensional. And I think we're in a time where multidimensionality is really sort of the opening um, that many of us are looking for. So thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Martina, thank you so much for being here today. And I, yes, please listen. <laughs> I, I am really excited about, um, about all of the different perspectives that are being shared. And, uh, and just thanks again for coming. You're welcome. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender, experience, and perspective. I'm your host, Amy Breslow. I see each conversation as an adventure, and I love being surprised by where we go. If you find you had any questions during the discussion, I'd really like to know. You can submit your questions on the website, yourownvoice.org contact. Your Own Voice is produced by your host with IT support from Alex Moreno and is registered with ProtectRite. Music by Kevin McLeod. Thank you for joining us today. I'll be back in two weeks with the next episode. Until then, take care and be well.